and once again, good morning, everyone. Um, I want to start the message this morning with, uh, I think, a pretty fair observation um, and acknowledgement. Um, Mother's Day can be a difficult day for, for people. Um, it could be a difficult day because maybe you've lost your mom, or you've lost a child, or in some other way there's a, a brokenness in, in some relationship you have between mom and between son or daughter. And I just want to share this encouragement with you and share this verse with you, Um, and then I'd like to lead us in prayer, and then I'd like to start the message. If you're struggling today for any of those reasons that come with Mother's Day and any of those difficult circumstances that have come to you in life, I just want to share with you what the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 1.3. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort. I want to give you some encouragement this morning that we are in a house of prayer and worship. And in this morning, we get to point our joys and our pains toward the very God who created each of us, a God who loves us and a God who promises mercy and comfort even in our darkest valleys. I want to give you that comfort this morning, and then I want to pray and bring us into our message today. Father God, Uh, We come before you this morning um, thankful, thankful for the gift that mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers bring to us, for the impact that they have, for the impact that they will continue to have. And Father, we, we recognize that we have a real huge responsibility as a church to continue to build families, to continue to build capacity in all people to love you more, to love each other more and to grow kids to follow in that same path. Father, we realize and recognize that all of our blessings, all of the comforts, all of the joys, and in the future, our our, our time with you in heaven comes when our relationship comes with you. So Father, we humbly come to you this morning. We pray you open our minds, our hearts, uh, to the message and to the worship this morning, and we look forward to a day to celebrate and share with our families this special occasion, Mother's Day. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to make a reference to probably the 40s and 50s here, so this may get lost on some of the younger folks in the crowd, but I'm going to quote Milton Berle, if you remember him. Um, Milton Berle said this. He says, I don't believe in evolution. He says, if our species were truly evolving, evolving, then our moms would have more than two hands by now. So that was his argument against evolution, because if we were evolving, moms would have more than two hands. And I I think we get a smile out of that line, because we all know what our mothers and our grandmothers and our great-grandmothers have meant to us, what they continue to mean to us. And I want to just focus on mine for a moment this morning as I open up this message. And to do that, I need those of you who were around this area in the late 70s, early 80s to picture Onawa, okay? So if you go to that four-lane stop when you go through Onawa, if you were to take a left, go by the Chinese restaurant, um, you take that next first right by Griffin Photography. If you remember back in the late 70s and 80s, on the east end of that street was a place called the Medicine Chest. Okay, all right, it's just resonating with some people. Across the street, and this grocery store changed its name several times, but at the time this happened in my life, I was a little boy, it was a Piggly Wiggly restaurant. If you remember the Piggly Wiggly And one of the things, one of the routines of our family um, was at least once a week, um, we would usually make a stop. Sometimes it was after church. Sometimes it was during a summer morning. 
But we would go down and we would do our business at the medicine chest, which is like a Walgreens today. And then we would get some groceries at the Piggly Wiggly. And one of the rites of passages that you have as a kid at some point, I probably was eight, nine years old, was you get to leave the cart, you get to leave the security of your family, and you get to kind of wander the aisles yourself. You get to pick out a box of cereal, you get to pick out a couple of snacks, you bring them back, you throw them in the basket. That's just part of what you do when you're growing up. But, and I don't know if my mom's going to remember this or not. She may not, but I most certainly do. There was a, a day where I made a choice that I was really struggling with because, do you remember those Brock's bins? I think they still have them in most grocery stores. Remember the candy aisle? And there were just boxes and boxes of Brock's candies. And I loved the caramels. And I loved the fruity Tootsie Rolls. And I loved all of those candies. And for a kid, it's literally a kid in a candy shop. And the problem is they're all individually wrapped and they're sitting right there at your arm's level. So you know where this story's going. I look to my right, I look to my left, and there's nobody around. And that candy looked so good, so I took one and I ate it. I took another one and I ate it. And I was just kind of in the back of my mind figuring there's somebody that's going to just reach out and grab my shoulder because every one I was taking, I was feeling more and more guilty. Well, we left the grocery store. No one was uh, the wiser for it. We got home, but there was just something gnawing inside me. I, I, just, I just felt this overwhelming guilt. And it was my conscience that was working inside of me a little bit. And we used to have three cottonwood trees um, where I grew up. And it was sort of on the south end of, of, of our house. And if I'm sitting among cottonwood trees and I'm not hitting a baseball, you probably figure something's wrong. So Grandpa's in the garden doing whatever he's doing. And I just remember there was a conversation where he kind of approached me, asked me if everything's okay, and I, I finally had to tell him, I, I took some candy from the Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> and I just remember my grandpa, with all of his sensitivity training, just saying, well, you better go tell your mom. <laughs> and so, so that was the next step. And I, like I said, Mom, I don't know if you remember this. I didn't prep you for this, so you even know. But I very distinctly remember having to go to my mother and say to her, Mom, I, uh, I did something wrong. I, I took something and I didn't pay for it. And I'll never forget her reaction. Um, it was one of love and, you know, feeling unconditional love, but it was also a don't do this again. Now, I also remember that there was probably a, free, a sign that said you could take a sample if you wanted, and I didn't catch that, so maybe it wasn't such a bad thing, but in my mind, I did something really, really wrong. And when I approached my mom about it, it was both love and sternness. Kind of like the woman at the well when Jesus approached her and the woman at the well who is living in all of this sin and all of this scorn and all of this judgment. And Jesus says, I love you unconditionally, but you go and sin no more. That's the power of grace. That's the power of a relationship with Jesus. And what I remember very distinctly about that incident and why I use it as an example is because that's the way my mom raised me. She raised me knowing that I was loved, but she raised me with a real sense of being honorable and respectful, and trying to do the right thing. And now you couple that with all the Sunday school lessons and all of the, the church experience, and you couple that by growing up in a, in a home where, where God is honored. And that's how you grow up as a kid. And, and I want to make this very clear. I am far from perfect. I've said that many times. And mom's humble enough, and she's probably very embarrassed that I'm telling all of this. Um, but mom, my, mom would say like any other mom, I'm not perfect either. But what I think we both learned early on is that if you do two things well, 
you can have some pretty good success in life. One is to obey God's word, and the next is to obey your parents. Pretty good way to live. And I remember that respect for my mom, not because I feared her. I wasn't necessarily afraid that I would be punished, punished. But I remember wanting to obey her out of a sense of respect for her. Because I knew how hard she worked. I knew how much she sacrificed. I knew what she gave. And because I felt that, I wanted to just give back to her in a way too. And that's how that relationship built from as early as I can remember. So for the young kids who are in here today, and young I mean 18 and under, most important thing I can give you today is to be intentional and be respectful and be conscious of obeying your parents. Obey. Obey God's word. Obey your mom and dad because with that comes the trust that love builds. I'm telling you, you can't go wrong if you obey God's word and you obey your mom and dad. I'm not trying to get brownie points from our parents. I'm simply saying this, this is how life is wired to work. This is how it's wired to work. And so I want to talk today about our role with our moms, our grandmas, our daughters, our wives. And I think my relationship modeled that with my mom from a very early age. And I know there were plenty of times when I frustrated her. But again, it was out of gratitude and respect that I wanted to honor her. We spent a series over the last few weeks talking about the vision of this, of this church. And we talked about how sharing and serving and inviting people is rooted in two simple commands from Jesus. We are to obey his commands to go out and make disciples. And we also do so out of gratitude because his sacrifice for us gives us eternal life. And we should want to share that. So it's out of obedience and it's out of gratitude. I would make the same argument that our respect for our wives, our mothers, and our daughters has everything to do with obedience and gratitude as well. And that's where I want to really pick this up here this morning. So this message has something for everyone. Because we all have or have had mothers, mother figures, grandmothers, great-grandmothers in our lives. And this is a day to honor moms. But it's also, to me, a very important day. And guys, I'm going to just come and speak right to you directly. Whether you are 10 or whether you are 90, I want to speak to every man in this room. This is a day we honor women as well. This is a day we honor women. And so my challenge is going to be very pointed, especially for the men here today. And I'm going to ask you a point-blank question. Depending on your age, there are possibly three kinds of women who you are blessed with in your lives or have been blessed with through the course of your life. Your mother, your grandmother, your grandmother, or great-grandmother. You've been blessed possibly with a wife, and you may be blessed with daughters or sons. I'm going to talk about raising sons at the end of this as well. What are you doing, and here's my, here's my question for each of us to ponder today. What are we doing intentionally today and every day to honor our mothers and our grandmothers? This is for every male in the room. What are we doing to honor our grandmothers and our mothers? What are we doing intentionally to love our wives? And what are we doing to protect our daughters? And what are we doing to instruct our sons on how to respect and love the women in their lives? That's a pretty tall task. But there's never been a more important day to have that type of conversation with those types of goals in mind. I was um, at a training this week, uh, just talking about academic rigor, all right? And I'm talking to a lot of other principals in the room, many of them from our area. 
And we can talk about preparing students all we want for college, but the conversation inevitably came back to this. Every single principal from every single community that we were representing came back to this. It's one thing to talk about more rigor in a classroom, but we're also dealing with a lot more kids who are coming to us from brokenness. And so if mom and dad are fighting, if there's a lot of alcohol abuse in the house, if there's a lot of violence that a child is being raised in, it's a lot harder to imagine how successful they're going to be in school. And it boils down to this. There is a brokenness cycle in our society. And generational brokenness creates more and more helplessness and hopelessness. And there's someone who needs to fill that gap. Now, ultimately, the only one who we can fill the brokenness in our lives with is the love and grace of Jesus Christ. We understand that as Christians. And we also understand that we are called to be his hands and his feet. And the most important place that we start that is in the very home that we are raising our own kids or the very home where we've raised our kids and now we've got the grandkids coming home, or the very home that some of you younger folks will have someday as you think about being married and having families of your own. So the message is going to be very clear this morning. We're going to talk about loving our wives, respecting our mothers, protecting our daughters, and instructing our sons. And I want to start today with Ephesians 5, verse 25 through 28. Paul writes this, to the church in Ephesus, and he's very clear to the husbands here. And in honor of our wives, mothers, grandmothers, daughters, we're going to start right here, guys. Paul says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to. He's not giving a suggestion here. He's teaching us what to do. Husbands love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, if you were with us earlier this year and you went through the study of Acts with us, you remember that the church, as we studied, was founded on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the church as we know it today, 2,000 years ago from that moment, it's the heritage of a movement of witnesses who testified to the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. So it is pretty clear what Paul is teaching here. See, Jesus loved us so much that he laid down his life for each one of us. He did that for his church. And this is the model that Jesus gives us husbands as the standard for loving our wives. It's that kind of sacrifice, it's that kind of love that we are called to give our wives. So I want to make this very practical this morning. I'm going to spend my most time on this first point, not that the other three aren't just as important, but I really want to spend a lot of time on this point because the obvious question is this, how do we love like this? And more importantly, how do we know when we are not? I'm a big fan of Dr. Henry Cloud. He wrote a book called Boundaries. He, wrote, he just recently wrote a book called Never Go Back. He, he, he ties the psychology of life with biblical principles, and he is just an amazing person in terms of being an expert on relationships, especially marital relationships. And he says this, the human heart longs to be connected. 
I think we could all agree with that. The human heart longs to be connected, and that connection begins with trust. And trust, I think, as we all can agree, is the cornerstone of every healthy relationship we have. And so, guys, the first responsibility we have, and it's something that is very difficult for us to do sometimes, is we have to have vulnerability. And this can be hard for us, but we have to be vulnerable. And Dr. Cloud describes that trust and vulnerability look like this. It means that our bodies, minds, souls, and passions are moving towards the person that we love. Now, I want you to think back, if you are married, I want you to think back to when you were first dating. Do you remember that connection you had with your wife? I know I do. I remember when Beth and I, we were set up on a blind date. I met her that evening. We had to probably talk till 4 in the morning. And from then on, I knew, I think this is the girl. And so there was this stretch of time where I was sort of pursuing Beth. And so you're putting on your best behavior while you're pursuing. But here's the problem. When we get married and life settles in, sometimes I'm not on my best behavior. Because I'm no longer moving towards her or wooing her, I am now dealing with life. And isn't that true with all marriages? And for those who are engaged or those who are someday thinking of marriage, these are the things you need to think about as you're preparing to be married. Because it is true that in some senses, the honeymoon doesn't last forever. But we remember that love is a verb, and it's not a noun. And so in our marriage relationships, men, here's what we have to do first. We have to ask ourselves this question. At this moment in time, on this day this morning, when's the last time we've made an intentional move toward our wives? an intentional move towards them. Because life does settle in, and we have stresses from family to work to kids to money, and you name it, difficulties that go on within our families. And sometimes we forget to move toward each other. And you know what happens when we start mo- stop moving toward each other? Which way are we going to start moving? We start moving away. So guys, to honor the wives, the mothers of our children today, we have to think intentionally, what are we going to do to continually move toward our wives because we are given this awesome responsibility and scripture ordains that we are to be leaders in our homes. But in our leadership, we have to understand that our authority begins with our humility. It's scriptural. Our authority begins with our humility, our willingness to lay down ourselves and our interests for those of our wives. Our model comes straight from Jesus Christ. And if I could paraphrase the gospel like this, it's simply this. Through Jesus Christ, God came down to repair what was broken. And that's how we need to see our relationships. My friend Chris, who is like a brother to me, I've used him in other references before, but he, he has this unbelievable story. And Chris and I are a lot alike in, in terms of time. To me, time is relative, and it really frustrates some people. So there are people who are right on time and five minutes early, and sometimes I'm not because time is relative, okay? And so Chris is a lot like me in that sense, and he had a morning meeting that morning, and he was supposed to get the car back to Christy so she could go to work, and Chris got to talking because, like me, I get to talking, and pretty soon he's 15 minutes late. And he says he'll never forget rolling up to the driveway, and he sees his wife standing in the driveway, and there are just tears coming down her eyes. And his first reaction was, what's wrong with her? I'm 10 minutes late, no big deal, right? It was only when his wife told him, Chris, this isn't about time 
and me being 10 minutes late for work now. This is about how much you value my time because you're late. And he said that hit him right between the eyes. You see, in her mind, time was currency, and it was important. And so when he abused that time, it was as if he was taking the currency from her. Now, that's a relational issue. Now, we could go through 50 different ways that we drive our wives crazy, couldn't we, guys? I can give you a list right now of mine. And I could talk and talk and talk about them. That's not my point. We all have those stressors. We all have those pressure points in our relationships with our wives where we do things that frustrate our wives, and we own them. But here's the difference, and here's how we move forward, and here's what we need to think about. When we take time to listen and understand what we can do to better serve and love our wives, we may hear some things from them that may not you know, help our self-esteem right away. They may sting a little, but at the same time, they should help us better understand what we can do for them. Because a natural reaction for guys sometimes, at least for me, is, well, I didn't mean to as if that's going to solve everything when I make a mistake. What Beth really needs to hear from me is, I'm really sorry that happened. I'm going to work to be better at that next time. And then be intentional about it. So men, I'm going to ask you this question. In in terms of loving your wives, do you know what triggers the breakdowns when you do have tension in your relationship? Have you ever asked that question? And maybe it's as simple as this. Let's be practical. Honey, what do I do that drives you crazy? Maybe you need to wait a half hour as you get your list. I don't know. But these are conversations that we need to have in our relationships. We need to have them in our marriages. Because, guys, our brains don't do this well. And here's how it works for me. If I hear something negative back from Beth, you know what I immediately go to? She's criticizing me. She's criticizing me. She's criticizing me. And guess what? Then I become defensive. And then the whole thing just doesn't quite go where it's supposed to go. I'm going to share with you some amazing research here, and and this this is stunning to me. But there's a man named John Gottman, and he's been a researcher of relationships for years and years and years. He probably has 10, 15,000 clinical hours of observing couples, relationships. And based upon his research, he believes that within a 15-minute interaction, he can judge within 90% accuracy what the future of that relationship is going to be. Pretty amazing. Watching two people talk through a tense subject is what he does. He does this for his study, his research, his living. And here are the four things he says that break down marital relationships. And I want you to think about these in terms of how we interact with each other in our marriages. Number one, something that dooms a relationship is criticism. Constant, persistent criticism. Guys, we have to step up here. How much criticism versus how much praise do we give our wives? And I'm not just talking about pointed criticism where we're trying to hurt. It may be sort of the poking fun, you know, thinking we're just joking around, but maybe those words hurt. We have to think about that in terms of criticism. Number two, what breaks down a relationship? Defensiveness. I hear something, I don't like what I hear, and I immediately go on the defense, and I don't take responsibility. Number three, contempt or judgment. We judge the character of the person based on something that's been done. And number four, and you can smile if this ever happens in your home, maybe with your own marriage or maybe with your kids, it's called stonewalling. It means they roll their eyes at you. It means they sort of look like they blow you off. They kind of walk out. Guys, sons, husbands, 
this is no way to treat the women in our lives. We need to do, have an honest assessment. Are there things that I do, are there ways that I behave that create this type of atmosphere in the relationships with the women who are most valuable and important to me? Men, flowers are nice on Mother's Day. So is dinner out and time together as a family. But if we want to truly love our wives, we have to be as vulnerable with them as Jesus was for us, completely laying down our lives for them. And when we do that first, by nature, we're going to constantly, intentionally be moving toward each other. And we need to be moving toward each other in every aspect of life. Because here's the deal. Raising kids is hard. And we never quite get done raising our kids, do we? They become adults and they're raising kids and you're still as tied to them as you were when they were 12. So we have to be very intentional about constantly building, 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 investing And so I want to give you four opposites of those four things that break down relationships. Instead of criticism, can you replace it with praise? Can you find one thing every day to praise your wife for? Praise. Instead of being defensive, have openness. Have an open heart to hearing and listening. How can I be a better husband? How can I be a better son? How can I be a better grandson? Listen and be open. Instead of showing contempt, show compassion. Instead of contempt, compassion. Instead of stonewalling, eyes rolling, distracted, kind of spacing off, listen with sincerity. I can tell you this, and I can quote Beth directly. She says, Jeff, when you're completely locked into a conversation with me, something changes in your voice, something changes in your body movement, something changes in your eyes. Well, i got to be open to hear that. Because then i got to be open to try to do something about it. Guys, I'm giving you really practical stuff today because, because families are so critical. The family unit is so critical to not only God's house, but this community that we're serving, the communities that surround us. Strong families build strong communities, strong churches, and strong witnesses for Christ. He gave us the blueprint. He gave us the model for what it looks like. And the second thing we need to do, so first of all, we have to be vulnerable. The second thing we need to do, and I took this from Dr. Cloud. I want to be very upfront with that, kind of put it in my own words, but I want to share this with you too because I thought it was unbelievable teaching. We have to affirm what our wives love to do. Do we actually take time to recognize what they do and take an interest in it? You know, Beth does a great job when we go on trips of sitting through baseball games with me. She doesn't like baseball all that much, but when we're together, it's a lot of fun. If she were by herself, I doubt she's going to a ball game. But together, we do that together because she knows it's, a, it's an interest to me. What does she love to do that I can invest in her? If I have one thing that I most certainly wish I did a better job of, looking back on our marriage, is the gifts that my wife has in working in small groups, working with women, working with mothers, she has a passion for that. You know what, as I look back, I wish I would have spent more time asking her about that, showing her appreciation. It's not that I didn't appreciate it, but I got so busy in my own world, sometimes I just sort of forgot what she was doing. And so I want to make a better commitment to her that as she continues to work in her areas of passion and strength, that I'm listening and I'm advocating and I'm talking and I'm supporting Guys, ask your wives this question today. You're going to have all kinds of time with them. Honey, what are you passionate about, and how can I support you in it? Please ask that question today. 
and then take action upon it. So that's for our wives. Now, I'm not a marriage expert, believe me. I make plenty of mistakes. But I think these are pretty tried and true, and I think they're very scripturally based. This is a great day to take that next step toward best honoring our wives. Next up, our mothers. Very simple here, guys. We need to honor our mothers. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3 says this. Children, so this is for every teenager in particular today. But in some ways, we're always going to be like kids, right? My, I, quick side note here. I remember coming down to Ottawa one day. I had to uh, uh, supervise a ball game several years ago. I stopped in at Grandma and Grandpa's. I did a little work around the house, maybe 15 minutes, okay? I'm walking out the door. I got my coat on. My grandma shoves $5 and an orange in my pocket. <laughs> I, said, I, I, said, I said, Grandma, I have a job and I have fruit in the house. But that didn't matter because I was always going to be... Jeff, growing up. And so I had to respect that. So I bought a popcorn with her money that night. You know, it, it, it's, we never stop being parents. We never stop being parents. And so that means that when we grow up, even though we're beyond 18, there is still a necessity while our parents and our grandparents are in our lives to constantly honor them. And Paul says it right here. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right Honor your mother and father, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on this earth. You want to honor your mothers and your grandmothers, not just today, but days ahead. Give them time, give them your obedience, and find ways to be around them. They want your time, they want your attention. Give it to them. Honor. Mothers, honor grandmothers, great-grandmothers. It's a simple, simple instruction, and we can do this. Next, protect our daughters. I want to go to Nehemiah 4.14 here, and just a very quick side note. You could teach an eight-week session on leadership just by following the life of Nehemiah. Very quick story. He's responsible for coming in and leading the rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem in 52 days. And the entire book of Nehemiah is a chronicle about the things that he said and did to mobilize the people around him to make this happen. It's an amazing lesson in leadership. The entire book is. But there's one particular verse in here that gets down to the why. I'm going to share that with you now. It's Nehemiah 4.14, and this is what I mean when I'm saying we need to protect our daughters. It says, After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And I want you to circle that word if it's in your, if it's in your notes or if it's in your Bible here. And fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. He's calling God's people. He's calling the men in this time to fight. Those are strong words. Guys, we need to fight for our daughters more than ever. The urgency that brought on that type of leadership was very simple. His people, the people in Jerusalem, were under siege, and they needed to build a wall of protection. Now, right now, in the communities that we live in, we don't live on violent streets like some people in the world. We don't live in war-torn areas. But I would venture to say that we very much do live among brokenness, don't we? We live among it every single day. And I see it day after day in the lives of countless kids whose own homes are filled with strife and pain and fear 
and brokenness. And this brokenness, as I mentioned, it it can become generational if we don't break those cycles. So dads, if you have a little girl, if you still have a girl, I don't care, that, that girl's eight, that girl could be 38 right now. Here are three things that are biblically important that we need to do for our daughters. Number one, we tell them that we love them as often as we can. Number two, we tell them they're beautiful every chance we can. And we invest our time in them. And just like with our wives, we inv- oh, excuse me. <laughs> this is, yes, it's hard here. We invest in their passions. We let them know that. I think there is an assault in today's culture on our daughters. It's an assault by an industry that tells them how they should look, how they should act, what's popular, what's not, what's beautiful, what's not. And what a lot of girls do is they compare themselves to everyone else around them. I think boys do the same in different ways. But we need to be aware of that. I was sitting with Kate yesterday. It was just a quiet moment with the two of us. And she got this little magazine from um, one of her favorite little stores. But it kind of stunned me. And it kind of made me realize how important it is to stay involved with kids. Inside this magazine, there were these T-shirts and all these, you know, kind of cool-looking things that girls her age wear. But they have a line of shirts that start with OMG, dot, dot, dot. Now, if you're not familiar with OMG, that is text language for oh my, and I I don't even feel comfortable saying it in the house of God. I've always believed and I've always been taught to raise that that phrase, when it's not used out of respect or reverence, is blasphemy. And here it is, right on a shirt that my daughter would like, and she has no idea what OMG means. So guess what? It's time for a conversation. Here's what OMG means. And more than just the, that phrase, it's the attitude that kind of came with the selling of the clothes. And I began to think more and more, what, what kind of a world and what kind of messages does my daughter get on a daily basis when I'm not there to help protect her? And I can't be there every single second. But when I see something that I can step up and say, honey, this is what this means, this is where we stand on it, that's important as a dad. You see, people wonder about mean girls. We, we hear that a lot now, mean girls. They mean mean boys, too. But I can tell you this, mean girls are insecure girls. And to keep our girls secure, sorry, this is emotion, but to keep our girls secure, there are two things they have to know. Our daughters need to know that their security comes in two things, and they are in rank order. First and most importantly, their security comes in their knowledge and faith and relationship with Jesus. That's where the security comes from. And number two, almost as important, but we defer to Jesus first, is our relationship with us, parents, dads especially. The heart, as I mentioned earlier, longs for connection. Our daughters are longing for connection. And I'm here to tell you because I've seen it over and over for 20 years. When their hearts are not filled with the love of Jesus and their fathers, they will find another place to fill that longing and that love. We need to stand in the gap, dads. More than ever, we need to be advocates for our girls, and we need to protect them from a very, very rocky world that they face. Simple as that. Finally, and the last thing, and thank you for indulging me. I've gone a little over today, but this stuff matters so much. we got to instruct our sons. we got to teach our boys how to respect their moms. we got to teach our boys how to respect girls because Kids who boys who respect girls are going to grow up to become men who respect women. 
And I want to read this verse with, to you from Luke 5, 27 to 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Jesus is taking this to another standard, and we're still waiting for the world to catch up to his standard. Jesus says, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. You know how I teach this to my sons? <laughs> it means that we don't celebrate, acknowledge, or have any time spent with some of the stuff that you see on TV. And it's getting harder and harder. Just watch commercials in between ball games, right? But there are teachable moments that we have every single day to make sure that our boys know that girls are not objects. Women are not objects. 2,000 years ago in Jesus' time, they were. They had no rights. I would make the argument, and I'll, I could spend a whole other sermon, and I'm not going to do that to you today, but I could make a whole other argument that it was Christianity itself that began to change that in the very places where Jesus was. We are called as dads to protect our daughters and instruct our sons. And if I could put it to you just this way to close today, dads, we've got this responsibility. We've talked about how to love our wives. We've talked about how to honor our mothers, and we've talked about protecting our daughters. Maybe the simple way to say it is this. Our most responsibility, most important responsibility next to loving our wives and giving that model for our kids is we need to raise boys to respect women and raise our daughters to demand that respect. What kind of world does that look like if we can accomplish those two things? Because you see, broken cycles can be renewed, but they can only be renewed by the blood of Jesus Christ and the life we live in celebration of our commitment to him. We make him Lord of our lives, we make him Lord of our homes, and we begin to see family units renewing. And renewed families have incredible impact on the world that God is calling us to renew. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. It's a blessing to have you all here. Can we give one hand for the moms and grandmas and great-grandmas who are here? So guys, two instructions today. Two instructions. Number one, ask your wives today, what can I do to serve you better? And be prepared to listen. Be open to listen. Number two, ask your wives, honey, what is something that I can support you more in? And then finally, instruction number three, whatever age your sons and daughters are, what's one thing you can do this week to share that message in their own relationships, whether it is demanding respect or showing respect. We're continually building because we never grow up. It was Irma, Irma Bombeck once said that it doesn't matter what age you are, you're still my son, and I'm still going to treat you like my son. I get that. And that's, that's a mom. That's the heart of a mother. And we're so blessed because we have those mothers among us today. Will you join me in prayer? Father God, we are just so thankful for your blessings we are thankful on this Mother's Day for the gift of motherhood. We are thankful for the impact that moms and grandmas and great-grandmas have had in our lives. And Father, let us leave today with an earnest attempt to honor them, to respect them, to find ways to give them more time, to give them more encouragement, to simply say thank you. I pray that if we have the opportunity to say thank you to a mom and grandma today, we'll take that time to do it, whether it's in person or by phone call. Father, I also pray for the men in this room, whether they're married, whether they're soon to someday be married, I pray that you will help focus us 
on how you teach us to truly submit our lives on behalf of our wives. We lead through humility. And Father, I pray that you can continue to build that inside the hearts and minds of the men who heard this today and the men that we will impact in the future. We thank you for all of your blessings. We thank you for your sacrifice for us. Fathers, I look up at that screen. I thank you for the new believers who come to you through baptism. That's an amazing testament to your movement. And I pray we can each continue to humbly be a part of that as we continue to move forward. And it's in Jesus' name I pray all of this. Amen. Happy Mother's Day.